What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, you know, I hate to ask, but are friends electric? I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And of course they are. All organisms are electric. Actually, is that true? I'm not sure. Uh, maybe well, electrochemical. All, are they all electric? Uh, maybe, maybe not viruses, so. but that might be one of yeah. those weird virus I, definition issues. I don't think they're all electric. I think some are hybrids. That was a terrible joke. All right. Well, let's actually transition into the introduction for our podcast that doesn't involve weird wordplay that doesn't get us anywhere. We're going to be talking about uh, something that we've touched on in previous episodes, right? Slug cyborgs. No, wait, we haven't touched on that, have yeah, we? Yeah, because they're kind of mucusy and, and gross. And I've never personally touched a slug cyborg. Yeah, No, I haven't um, either. But I would. And furthermore, we have talked a little bit about cyborgs in the past, or rather about upgrading organisms. Um, uh, back in December of 2014, we did a whole episode about cyborg cockroaches. 
It's called Biobots, if you want to look it up. Uh, and we also talked about the possibility and the ethics of human upgrades way, way, way back in March of 2013. Mm, I wonder even, what that's like. can't even believe anyone was alive then. It seems so long ago. Um, that one's called Cyborgs, Ethics, and You. Um, <laughs> and it just occurred to me, did we even talk about the Amazing X-Files episode, War of the Cop? Cop- Copperphages? Am I saying that right? Copperphages? Uh, I don't know if we did, though Christian and I did in a Stuff oh, to Blow Your Mind episode good. that we did about the science of the X-Files. Yeah, I want to oh, say that excellent. at that point, none of us were re-watching the series. And so That's we probably, probably weren't talking about it. Okay. But then enough. once it all hit Netflix and we all started kind of binge-watching X-Files episodes, I, I was kind of hate-watching it. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, if, if you have Netflix and you can go back and watch... Uh, War of the Copper Fages. That's like a top five episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. totally. It's one of the four that was written by Darren Morgan. I might be a huge X-Files nerd. Uh, and those four that he wrote, I think are the best. Uh, he starred or, or co-starred in uh, one of the others that I really like called Small Potatoes. At any rate, so we're not talking about Darren Morgan in this episode. Or, or X-Files. X-Files that much. But but yes, uh, cybernetic life forms. Life forms that have some extra bits kind of worked in and or synthetic life because we also touched on synthetic life relatively recently uh i don't know scroll down see what you find yeah it's like it's like maybe from maybe a month back or something it was pretty recent that we talked about synthetic life forms you know it sounds no offense to y'all it sounds like we are already getting a little mushy with the terminology here oh, yeah. like yeah. what it what is the the category distinction we're trying to create about these uh the, the the joining at the edges of, of technology and life. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's, so, let's, let's clear that up a little bit. Okay. Uh, this term cyborg, you probably know it most from the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Cyborg, directed by Albert Pune, or maybe not. You probably know it from culture. Uh, cyborg is a term that has generally come to be understood as some sort of union between the biological organism and the machine in some way or another. Uh, and I say that generally because there is a gap between the specialized definition of cyborg and the common use of the term in culture. Right, like a, he's more machine now than sea slug, <laughs> twisted and evil. Yeah, so the term cyborg is a shortening of cybernetic organism. You might know that much. And it was coined back in 1960 by Manfred Kleins and Nathan Klein. Their names sound similar, but they're not the same, spelled different. And that that article in 1960 was in the journal Astronautics, and it was called Cyborgs and Space. So I want to read a quote for you. Sure, go ahead. If a fish wished to live on land, it could not readily do so. They're off to a good start, I yeah, think. It's starting to sound very susical at the very <laughs> beginning. If a fish wished to live on land. Uh, if, however, a particularly intelligent and resourceful fish could be found, who had studied a good deal of biochemistry and physiology, was a master engineer and cyberneticist, and had excellent lab facilities available to him, this fish could conceivably have the ability to design an instrument which would allow him to live on land and breathe air quite easily. In the same manner, it is becoming apparent that we will, in the not-too-distant future, have sufficient knowledge to design instrumental control systems which will make it possible for our bodies to do things which are no less difficult. So specifically in this human (laughs) analogy that they make, they were talking about space. Kleins and Klein argue that as humans venture into space, it's going to be easier to change the human animal to be better suited to space conditions than it will be to create Earth-like conditions 
in space for the unaltered human. Interesting. So they're talking about actually changing human beings in some form or function, not necessarily, you know, uh, using technology to compensate for the things we would encounter in space, but to actually change humans so that we well, compensate well, that possibly. way. Yeah, they are talking about using technology to compensate, but the compensation wouldn't be external in well, our environment. I mean it would integrated be, yeah. into humans as opposed to yeah. like a spacesuit. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and and albeit this is before spacesuits existed. Right? right. This was before there was any human space exploration. Published in 1960, the first human space flight, Yuri Gagarin was in 1961. So uh, this is before we had any experience whatsoever in this field. But by their definition, quote, the cyborg deliberately incorporates exogenous, meaning coming from outside, exogenous components extending the self-regulatory control function of the organism in order to adapt it to new environments. And this means that the cyborg is not enslaved to his or her survival machinery. Uh, the, the incorporated survival machinery operates, quote, automatically and unconsciously, leaving man free to explore, to create, to think, and to feel. Mm. So in, a, in an interesting kind of way, I think the emphasis here, because people always think about human cyborgs in the human context as changing our nature – uh, but the way Klein's and, and Klein here envisioned it, it was almost as if it was enabling us to be more like the kind of creature we wish to be. You know, the kind ideal, of yeah, transhumanism rather than cybernetics, the way that we consider maybe cy- cyborgnetics. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, the emphasis is on is on not making us different fundamentally, but just sort of like getting all of the rudimentary survival junk out of the way so that our existence can be focused on the things that really matter. Hmm. This gets right to the heart of a lot of different issues we've talked about on this show that aren't necessarily directly related to technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, The general basic income, one could argue, is covering very much the same ground. The idea that once you have accounted for the uh, necessities, the basic needs of survival, mm-hmm. you free people up to pursue the things that they value and thus can become better contributors to society overall. Right. So the same similar idea. It's just a, a very different kind of approach to it. Uh, yeah. So in their vision, though, remember that this is talking about trying to adapt us to other environments sure. very specifically. And mm-hmm. it, it uh, cyborg came to mean something much more general uh, in in the parlance of our times. But originally, they were talking very much about space. And one example they give of modifying the human to live in space is breathing. So, you know, breathing is required to purge CO2 and replenish oxygen. There's no oxygen in space, you might have heard before. Yeah. And so Klein's very inclined, little at any rate. <laughs> yeah. Klein's inclined, right, quote, an inverse fuel cell, and uh, no, we, we would probably call this a regenerative fuel cell today. The idea of an inverse fuel cell is it does the opposite of what a normal fuel cell does. Mm-hmm. Instead of generating electricity through this chemical reaction, you put in electricity and you get chemicals out. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, uh, they say uh, an inverse fuel cell capable of reducing CO2 to its components with removal of uh, of the carbon and recirculation of the oxygen would eliminate the necessity for lung breathing. <laughs> Such a system operating either on solar or nuclear energy Ooh. would replace the lung, making breathing as we know it unnecessary. Conventional breathing would still be possible should the environment permit it discontinuing the fuel cell operation. 
Also for, quote, fluid balance, they basically recommend a sort of catheter filter IV circuit. Ah. Yep. Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Okay. <sighs> what what book does that is, – it's got to remind me of like Catch-22 or something with one <laughs> tube going in and one tube going out and the character convinced that the two tubes are essentially all part of the same system. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's – so. Well, anyway, uh, given this stricter understanding in, in light of the original definition, th- there is really a distinction between cyborgs, like as they're defined here, and other terms you might use like biohybrids or biorobots or something like that. Uh, so cyborgs are technically augmented organisms, and these augmentations are designed to expand the self-regulatory control function, as they said, a lot like technological equivalents of homeostasis systems in uh-huh. humans. Uh, that said, I think for the purpose of this episode, we should probably just accept that most people use cyborg to mean any kind of hybrid of an organism or robot or machine. Right. So you could either start from the the perspective of an organism that you have modified technologically in some way mm-hmm. or technology that has has uh, biological material incorporated into it in some way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that brings up the question of like what are the uh, what's the necessary constituent nature of an object that we think of as a cyborg. So Im- imagine a space pig. Uh, OK. Yeah. You, you got a space pig with an inverse fuel cell that facilitates lungless respiration. It's a cyborg. This is cyber pig. Um, and it can use electricity to oxygenate its tissues and purge CO2 in a vacuum without lung breathing. Isn't that great? Pretty sure that's the definition of link hog throb in pigs in space. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Keep going. I like where you're going with this. OK. But what if hypothetically you had something sort of coming from the opposite end of the spectrum? There's a mechanical fuel cell. Uh, that uses a disembodied pig lung to facilitate the generation of electrical current. Now, I'm not sure if you could really do that, but I'm just saying hypothetically. Sure. By the more common understanding, would this be a cyborg too? Uh, technically, yes. Yeah. Under I the, mean, the original definition, probably not. But yeah. And we've also moved from the Muppets to David Cronenberg kind of territory, but I'm willing to roll with it. Okay. Uh, so does the organic synthetic hybrid system in some sense, need to have a brain or a nervous system to be a cyborg. It, it seems like, yeah, yeah. It depends. <laughs> like, like I would argue that if you were to go back in time thirty years mm-hmm. and talk about the concept of cyborg, I think a lot of people would would in all fields would generally agree that they think of it as as largely an autonomous sort of thing. That mm-hmm. whether it's a computer brain or an organic brain, that the robotic biological thing itself would have some form of autonomy i would argue today that's not that's no longer a necessary criterion that mm-hmm. you could argue you could have a cyborg organism i guess that's that's being redundant you could have a cyborg <laughs> that the Put it right next to your atm machine exactly and your pin number uh you could have the decisions quote unquote that the cyborg is making come completely externally mm-hmm. through external controls. That, I think, would be an acceptable idea today, the idea that that you've got this organic slash technological thing, but it's under uh, external control. It has no agency of its own. Mm-hmm. I think people would still say, like, well, for lack of a better term, unless you're going to go with something like 
biohybrid yeah, or bio biobot. Bio bot, yeah. uh, we might as well call it a cyborg. And saying cyborg is so much more fun. It is. <laughs> also, it just like you immediately sit there. Like we're going to be talking about sea slug cyborgs very shortly. And when you sit there and think sea slug cyborg, first thing I think of is that there's like a Terminator version of a sea slug out there. That's not what is actually happening. But that we it's know of. way more fun to think of it that way, though. Well, let's get to the slugs then. We're, we're going to come back to some sort of theoretical discussions at the end. But, Jonathan, do you have something to tell me about slugs? I do. Um, I didn't want that it to you come, love them. I didn't want it to come out this way <laughs> on the podcast. I have a complicated relationship with slugs. I admit, when I was young, I, I had an occasional uh, foray into sadism by placing the salt uh-huh. upon the slugs. Uh-huh. I regret those actions now as an adult. I think I did it too. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but, slugs. Um, but these slugs are different. These are sea slugs. These are not not land-based slugs that are gnawing on the various uh, things you have in your garden. Right, so it's a different um, kind of animal. Different kind of animal entirely. and uh, Can't uh, be pissed at you for what you did when you were a kid. One would hope. I mean, if it holds a grudge, then they they are far more united than I gave them credit for. Hopefully we can upgrade their uh, mental powers through extra computing add-ons. Uh, can we so wait till after I'm gone so that way they don't? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the whole thing we're talking about here is actually a research project done uh, with a team working with Case Western Reserve's Biologically Inspired Robotics Laboratory which is a real thing that exists. Oh, man. It's incredible. Uh, they've developed an organic robot biohybrid, or if we prefer our, our other nomenclature, a cyborg, uh, that consists of 3D printed parts, very, very tiny 3D printed parts, and the mouth muscle from a sea slug. Just the mm. mouth muscle. Just the mouth muscle. They, okay. they first started practicing with uh, muscle cells. They tried to grow muscle cells on uh, kind of a, an organic uh, scaffold. But they found that the actual structure of the mouth muscle from this particular sea slug was already pretty much exactly what they needed huh. in order to accomplish the movements they had in mind with this, this 3D printed material. So as we talked about earlier in, in that analogy, this would be kind of like the pig lung that facilitates the fuel cell. Yeah. The, in this case, the muscle is there in order to provide the, the locomotion of this little robot, it doesn't have any, you know, other anima to it. That's that's what they're using the the muscle for. Is it's a pusher? It's a bender. A I bender. Guess. That's think, awesome. Think, think of it that you've connected two ends of a muscle. This is oversimplifying, uh-huh. but you've connected two ends of a muscle to two anchor points on a bendable, flexible, three D printed material. Mm-hmm. And then when you apply an external electric field, we know that when you stimulate muscle tissue with uh, low levels of electricity, you cause it to contract. So, or, or spasm, right. depending upon the way. Which is they, a series of contractions. Exactly. Yeah, sure. So doing that, they can make the muscle contract and thus bend the bendy 3D printed parts. And then, you know, through pulses, they can make the Create actual robot move motion. forward. Yeah. Uh, but just to be clear, I mean, we sort of already said this, but I do want to specify there we're not talking about like a mechanical thing inspired by the way the sea slug muscle works. No, we're it's talking literally just a sea slug muscle. Yeah, we're talking about, well, why would you choose a sea slug muscle in the first place? Like, why not do some other means of propulsion 
what's, what did the sea slug ever do to you that you required to remove the muscle from its mouth and paste it onto a 3D printed robot? Well, let's get some details first. Uh, the type of sea slug we're talking about is specifically the Aplesia californica sea slug. Okay. And, uh, it is, uh, apparently ideal for this particular application. And they, the team plans on using robots like this one. I would argue that the ones they produce so far are kind of in that prototype range. But they expect to use robots like this one in specific environments that would be hazardous or impossible for humans to explore. Mm-hmm. An example would be, let's say uh, uh, a plane has gone down over the ocean and perhaps it's a deep part of the ocean. It's very difficult for us to get down there and search for the black box to determine what exactly happened, you could deploy a swarm of these robots that could explore the bottom of the seafloor. Keep in mind that sea slug muscles, they're, they're made, made is probably the wrong word. They've evolved to inhabit various, uh, ocean environments and they're incredibly hardy. The, the muscle tissue in sea slugs, they are able to survive in various conditions of ocean water, different levels of salinity and temperature. So they're ideal for going into these kind of situations because you can have them survive through all the different depths of the ocean as they make their way to where you want them to go. Then they explore the ocean floor looking for this black box. When they find it, you know, you get the signal and then you can actually send in something to retrieve the box. That's one example. Another one that they gave is imagine that you have a, a pond and you know that there's some toxic material leaching into the pond. You do not know what the source is or where it is, uh, but you you are observing uh, ecological changes around the pond. So you don't want to send a person in there because it could be the levels of toxicity could be dangerous to the human beings. Mm-hmm. So you put in these robots that are capable of moving through the water to seek out the source and then maybe you can do something about it. Those are some of the examples they've given. Well, uh, the, the interesting thing about using a sea slug muscle as opposed to a 3D printed, um, uh, or, or traditional type of, of like a uh, bit of rubber or something like that. Yeah. Instead of Whatever. using something like that. Well, for one thing, like if you're using actuators, they tend to be stiff and inflexible. They, they aren't good at adapting to various environments. And that also means that they have limited range of motion, right? Like they might have a very simple action, like a piston mm-hmm. would be a very simple action in or out, right? So if you want to create uh, a limb that has a lot of flexibility to it, you end up having to use a lot of actuators, which ends up adding to the complexity of the robot itself. It increases the number of potential points of failure. It also increases the cost of developing and building those robots. And it's not easy to create something that's very adaptive to its environment. Whereas using a muscle for, from a creature that lived in that environment gets around those problems. Muscles are much more flexible. Uh, they're very, this particular sea slug is very resilient, like I mentioned before, so you don't have to worry so much about failure in that case. Um, and the muscle tissue itself can get nutrients from the ocean water around it to keep the muscle alive. Now, that doesn't power the muscle, as in it doesn't generate the ability for the muscle to contract. You still have to, at the moment anyway, stimulate it Stimulate it with an external electric mm-hmm. field. Uh, they do hope to eventually develop other organic-based robots using this, uh, this sea slug's musculature 
but also including other parts of the sea slug's nervous system, like ganglia and stuff, in order for it to be able to move without using an external electric field. You would have some other control mechanism to make the robot move when you want it to move, huh. uh, which would be important because trying to stimulate a swarm of robots deep under the ocean with a, an electric field would present its own challenges, right? You that That's not a practical solution to the problems that we're actually talking about these robots potentially tackling in the future. And uh, I love the idea that they eventually want to create essentially a, an entirely organic robot. Mm-hmm. So hmm. no inorganic parts. Mm-hmm. It's all – A meat robot. Yeah, a meat robot, which by the way is a, is pretty much the way Carol Capek envisioned robots in Rossum's Universal Robots. They were synthetic beings, but they were not necessarily electronic beings. Uh, the robots in Carol Capek's play were closer to the – like the replicants in uh, in Blade Runner. Yeah. And even more organic than they were, mm-hmm. at least it, in most of the variations I've read of the play. I've never read it in the original because I can't <laughs> – don't have that linguistic ability. But the uh, – at any rate, they wanted to do a, a fully organic robot. The idea being that if you lose them, like if they – if through whatever means, like they're going through a hazardous area and eventually they, they break down, mm-hmm. they would decompose naturally or they mm-hmm. could even be eaten by stuff – in the environment that is and not cause harm. Uh, this, sure. This almost reminds me in some ways of uh, when we talked about edible electronics, like wanting to make electronic devices entirely out of components that you could digest safely. Oh, sure. Because, yeah, if you're going to accidentally pollute a waterway, it's nicer to do it with a good friendly corpse than with, <laughs> uh, with electronics, which have batteries that can, you know, it's bad times if a battery leaks into your water. Right. Yeah. Just making the problem worse. Now, right. hopefully these synthetic uh, organic Organic, what are the terms? Completely organic robots would be sterile, correct? Well, I mean, they, well, from what I understand, they would be still completely controlled externally. They yeah. would have they would have no uh, autonomous function whatsoever. So, and they if, wouldn't contain the reproductive bits. Yeah, I, you, you would essentially just I'd have a, you would just have an inert robot yeah. if you weren't if you weren't using that external control. It'd be like. You know, if you had a remote control car and there's no wireless frequency going on around that car, it's not going to start moving on its own. Unless it's Tobor. <laughs> Granted, if Tobor has been reincarnated as an RC car, you might have some problems. I think we just came up with a plot for Toy Story 5. Pixar, call us. Yes, please do. I mean, generally. Yeah. Well, we'd, we'd love to talk to you. I love the idea of a completely organic robot. I think that's hilarious. And it <laughs> it's it's something that should encourage us to be thoughtful uh, well, because well, what what is a robot in that sense? So you say a robot is something. It's a machine that uh, that in – well, actually, I mean it, there, there are different definitions. Well, right? if you, if you go but, with the classic definition, the, the Carol Capek right. definition – uh, where you had organic robots. Mm-hmm. A robot is a synthetic being humans have built in order for it to do work that humans do not want to do or mm-hmm. cannot do. Uh, and in the case of Rossum's Universal Robots, you have these synthetic beings that rebel against that because uh, in that sense, robot is essentially a slave. It's just it's a, an artificial being that's been created by people 
but still has this feeling of, of, well, I am being forced to do this work. It was not of my own volition. So same sort of idea for robots in general, except we've largely not gone the organic route, except mm-hmm. in a few uh, odd cases here and there. And by odd, I mean infrequent. Uh, and also, also sometimes, sometimes. sometimes kind of unusual and, yeah. and weird. But uh, we've mostly focused on the electronic version of robots, right? The, the technological version of robots. So I would argue that this definition goes right back to the heart of the original definition. It's a synthetic uh, machine, whether it's organic or inorganic, that is meant to do work that we humans are either unable or unwilling to do ourselves. That's what I would say. All right. Well, under that definition, I mean, if you could imagine a scenario where we synthetically create a dog and it is, you know, pretty much like any other dog, except you've grown all of its organs in a in vitro and then combined them to make a functioning dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, should should our attitude toward this organism be any different than it would be toward a naturally occurring dog birthed to dogs? That's an excellent question. I don't – I mean obviously it's one of those that I think people would come up with their own individual answers. The fact sure. that you chose dog, mm-hmm. huh. uh, which hits our super soft spot for me, right. I'd be like, well, I mean if it's – it's like the – you know, if it looks like a duck and if it quacks like a duck, then it's good enough for me. It's sort of the same thing except if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, I'm not going to call it a dog, Joe. That's stupid. That would be absurd. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think that we shouldn't, morally speaking, treat this cyber dog with any difference than, than we would treat a regular dog. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we would. Well, I, mean, I, I think it's human nature to look at that and run away screaming. And <laughs> well, if it looks like Franken dog, then definitely. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I mean, it seems to me that the the crucial bit there would be the nervous system. Yes. Like if it has a nervous system, you wouldn't feel okay. To, even a dog you grew in vitro, if you grew a brain for it and it worked like a normal dog brain, I know I wouldn't feel okay like sending that dog into a dangerous situation oh, or no. something like that. That's still a dog. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, if you're growing organic robots, it seems like you will need some sort of nervous system type right. type apparatus which is, which to gets, control it. Which if, gets into what they were talking about with yeah. future uh, future versions of this Well, thing. yeah, and, and it would all depend on like how sophisticated a nervous system are you talking about. Are you talking about something that would allow enough for someone else to have external control of the the robot, whether it's organic or inorganic. Right. If you're going to make the muscles move, you need a nervous system. Yeah, but I mean, is it one that is capable of having any sort of experience or is it simply going to be one that follows the instructions that you give it in real time? In other words, is it more like a remote controlled uh, object or is it able to do anything semi or or fully autonomously? The closer you get to autonomous, I would argue, the 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 more you're going to have to treat that as a living thing, whether it's organic or inorganic, I feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, no, which we discussed at length uh, the other week in our robotic personhood episode. Right, right, and and we've even talked about it in previous episodes where we've mentioned the idea that if a robot is capable of simulating uh, behaviors that are are that we associate with organic beings, that living natural creatures. If it, the more it's able to exhibit those sort of behaviors, 
even if it's just a simulation, it may be for our own personal benefit to treat the robots as if they are, in fact, natural creatures. Uh, this would be like, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but it, it's almost better for, for human beings psychologically mm-hmm. to treat robots that would exhibit such behaviors as if they were alive, even if you could argue that uh, the robot itself somehow, you know, empirically isn't alive. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, that's so much further down the road <laughs> than simply attaching a sea slug muscle to a piece of 3D printed uh, uh, material well, to make but it I mean, move. If, if people are talking about creating entirely organic robots, I think this is something we need to be thinking about. Yeah, eventually, yeah. I think the initial organic robots are essentially going to be the organic counterpart to a remote-controlled car. Right. It's mm-hmm. not going to be any more sophisticated than a microprocessor that would allow a, uh, a radio signal to be translated into physical motion. Uh, yeah, and that actually is an excellent tie-in into our, our next subject in this episode, which is uh, synthetic stingrays. Yes. Uh, yeah. So wait, is this closer to the like a stingray modified with uh, predator vision, or more like a pig lung? It's more like a pig lung. Okay. Uh, it's it's a it's a robot powered by living tissue. Uh, but I would say that its design principles could lead to the modification of organisms in the future. I will explain. So. A team out of Harvard University has built a synthetic stingray that can swim around and be stimulated to move by exposure to these little blue lights. Why a stingray, you ask, with your eyeballs? Um, (laughs) Because it's an organism that has a a powerful and efficient muscular system that has the capacity to act and react in moving fluids when it swims. Yes? Sure. Um, and, And basically, our circulatory system is a system of moving fluids that acts and reacts to stimuli via a powerful and efficient muscular system, a.k.a. your heart. Wait, are you about to tell me that we're going to eventually have synthetic stingrays swimming through our bloodstreams? Because I didn't prepare myself for that eventuality. No. Okay. (laughs) All right. I can take a breath then. Uh, But their thought was that if we can create a synthetic stingray, then maybe we can create better artificial hearts. Oh, oh, how interesting. I never would have made that connection. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the connection was, was made by the, uh, the, the team leader, one Kit Parker, um, who's – it's the same team that created an artificial jellyfish back in 2012. Mm. And this Parker fellow has been uh, inspired by aquarium visits with his daughter and, and also by his frustration with, with the lack of really good artificial hearts in, in, our, in our current medical culture when we – do have lots of examples of things, living things that that beat and pump in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know wh- why don't why don't we have better hearts? Um, so he sees he sees projects like this jellyfish and this stingray as ways to help develop better human biotechnology. That's so interesting. But he does it in real creepy ways. <laughs> Mad science style. Uh, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I don't know. It, it depends on how far you play it up and how how much you choose to be squicked out by it. But, okay, like, d- did I mention that the stingray and the jellyfish are powered by rat heart cells? No, we, <laughs> you mentioned they had biological material, but didn't mention that uh, they were... They were deriving their power from rat hearts. I, I want to. I want to give cells, you guys. I, I want to give you guys a quote. Um, there, uh, uh, Parker did this interview with NPR, and in it, he was talking about sitting down with one of his fellow researchers and explaining this plan. And so, 
And so Parker says, I said, we're going to take a rat apart. We're going to rebuild it as a stingray. And then we're going to use a light to guide it. And then Parker says, and the look on his face was both sorrow and horror. <laughs> yeah, this it, that sounds like it comes straight out of like a, a B movie, <laughs> like horror uh-huh. film, right? Like, the you know, it, it reminds me of an episode of The Mighty Boosh where it's called uh, Mutants. And it's all about uh, the owner of the zoo in order to attract more people to the zoo decides to take apart all the animals and put them back together in weird ways because that will attract a bigger crowd. Lauren, wasn't this the story that was behind Miss Quimby and the Rats of Nim? <laughs> uh, good reference, but actually you know kind of. You know the name of the missing rat, right? The, the husband rat. You know what his first name was, right? Oh, I know. Jonathan. But only in the uh, book. I don't think he's mentioned that. Maybe he's mentioned that way in the movie, too. Yeah. It's been so. a long time since I've seen The Rats of Nim yeah. or read the book. Yeah. So I, I can't say that I recall specifically. Uh, but f- furthermore, uh, Parker <laughs> Parker went on to program these these living, disembodied rat heart cells to propel plastic stingray bodies through the water, always heading towards the light. I just want to shake this dude's hand. Yeah, there's like every every horror movie I've ever seen has been wrapped up into this story somehow. It's we got love. some poltergeist in there. <laughs> you know, we got Frankenstein and, and uh but 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 it is it is a, a fascinating technological biotechnological approach to a to a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh so so what what they did exactly was they took about 200,000 rat heart cells, um genetically altered them to react to this pair of 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 blinky blue lights and fitted them into a little silicone stingray shaped body that has this thin, tiny gold skeleton. Hmm. Um, the whole thing is a little bit less than an inch in diameter, like, like 20 millimeters or so about the size of a U.S. nickel. And, um, and, and, and the living cells in it are fit together in patterns that allow them to be stimulated sequentially. Um, it's sort of like, you know, the wave in a baseball stadium. Sure. Uh, you know, when, when, when everyone, this is such a visual thing and I, I was like about to do it to show you guys on air. That's not efficient, but it would have been a very small, but enthusiastic wave. Yes. Uh, I don't think we, we could, we could do a good wave in here anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, so, so, so in sequential patterns, um, and by giving the, giving the little synthetic creature different light inputs, like by modulating the frequency of the flashes and by acting, uh, by, by activating either both lights simultaneously or only the right side or only the left side, um, they've guided this little stingray buddy through an obstacle course. And yeah, it, it moves like a real stingray. Well, it makes sense that they would have to have it in this sort of modulated Fashion. After all, that's the way that if you watch a stingray swimming in slow motion, you see the sort of like a ripple effect through right. its musculature as it yeah. propels itself through. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And what they're hoping will come out of this research eventually is an artificial heart made with real living muscle cells, um, you know, rather than being uh, just just a mechanical pump or even, you know, a fancy mechanical pump that's outfitted with sensors that can react to blood pressure. Um, this kind of artificial heart could grow and change and react more like real hearts do. Right. That makes perfect sense. So if, for example, a child were to need a heart 
uh, transplant mm-hmm. uh, and and you didn't have and a donor isn't available. Yeah, you didn't have a donor available, and you don't necessarily want to uh, fit a a an artificial mechanical heart because, into a growing child, right? Because then you may have to ch- do future surgeries to correct for that later on. This is uh, an alternative approach that could be incredibly helpful for those sort of cases. Uh, in particular, a lot of oh, different sure. cases, obviously. Oh, but. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, heart, hearts are muscles that, that grow and change very much with us, sure. depending on how much exercise we're doing mm-hmm. and, uh, and other, other lifestyle factors. So yeah, it, it could be, it could be huge. All right. So we have these, these two different examples of incorporating biological material into a synthetic, uh, robot of some sort, whether, and, and different plans for, either approaching this to create more organic robots in the future, as is the case with a sea slug, or to develop uh, technologies that are inspired by, but not necessarily easily linked to on on, on a surface level, to a synthetic uh, uh, creature, the, the case of the stingray. What about the future of cyborgs? This is obviously very... Uh, early days in in that kind of realm. What are we seeing moving forward? Well, in some ways, if you think about it, humans are already sort of cyborgish with our contact lenses and our pacemakers and our Pokemon Go machines. But uh, I was I, kidding about that last one. But yeah, you might be. But uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna catch that gosh darn Psyduck. That's been haunting the office for the last 25 minutes. Uh-huh. There's a Psyduck in the office right no, now? No, there's not. Oh, Why no, would you not. lie to me, Jonathan? I, it, was, it was germane to what Joe was saying. It was really just for the purposes of entertainment. I, I, I feel very ashamed at having gotten your hopes up. Jonathan's going to create a Psyduck dynasty in here. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to grow up a beard. Uh, anyway, but so – so the, there's already the human case, but I mean, we, we've talked about human modification before. And in many cases, I think it's interesting to think about how biohybrid animals and cyborg animals may precede cyborg or biohybrid humans. Yeah, there's still going to be, I imagine, a lot of ethical considerations, even with the idea of, of tr- transforming animals in different ways, especially the more complex the organism, I, I imagine, mm-hmm. the more... Uh, ethical questions we will ask ourselves, but it seems to me that it's far more likely we're going to to see examples of that in uh, in even complex organisms well before we get to a point where it is widely accepted within human culture. We'll we'll still have maybe one or two people who are seeking out the opportunity to enhance themselves on an individual basis. Oh, sure. But those will be outliers, not like this is a general trend we're going to see lots of people following. Well, and as we've discussed on the show before, there are so many um, like legally ethical questions uh, and, and, and hurdles to to mechanically jump over. I'm not sure where I was going with that before. Um, <laughs> but before we have doctors with the legal capacity to make that kind of upgrade. To yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's interesting to think, well, assuming we do reach a future where more complex organisms can be altered into some form of cyborg, whether you're changing an existing animal or you're developing a brand new type of animal from scratch uh, you know, it may be a type of animal that 
completely resembles an existing one, but is in fact, you know, like lab made as opposed to we, we found this puppy and decided to give it infrared vision with cyborg eyes. Uh, what, what are some of the things we might see? I, I like, I like that you have the idea of augmenting animals to make them easier to care for. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's a thing that in some ways already exists. I mean, pe- people have wearables for animals that are meant for uh, health tracking purposes mm-hmm. of various kinds. I think sure. they're probably kind of crude today, but. Oh, and, and we do have GPS tracking chips in a lot of our, and like, like ID tags. In a lot of our animals. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, pet, pets with tracking capabilities. Now, y- your dog might very well already have an embedded microchip with, like, identifying information in case mm-hmm. that dog gets caught. Right. Uh, but you but, wouldn't call that integrated system, right? right? It's it's a tag that's underneath the skin of the exactly. animal but doesn't integrate within the dog's actual internal organs or anything. That we know of. Well, uh, a version that might do something like that was imagine something like this, pets with built-in range limiters. Uh, so kind of like the principle behind a collar and an electric fence combo. Hmm. So you can let your pet roam free, but they get within a certain range distance of your hub on the GPS coordinates uh, the pet has gone too far and it gets some kind of internal control mechanism telling it to turn back. Right. Like it suddenly gets uneasy mm-hmm. or hungry or terrified. <laughs> and now I want to go home and <laughs> hug my dog. <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, maybe it could simulate, you know, and it gets a certain distance away. There's suddenly the simulated sensation of hearing the, the food bowl rattle back at home yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Did yeah, I leave the gas on. Uh, <laughs> in less cute and cuddly ways, you could have like spy animals for warfare and espionage. I'm sure that you can upgrade in all kinds of bizarre cybernetic oh, ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can if, still have it cute and cuddly if it's like a Jack Russell. Uh-huh. Right, right. If you guys ever want to read something real depressing, um, and and you are of an adult age, uh, then then pick up the the graphic novel We Three, W E and the number three. That's by Grant Morrison, and it's real sad. It's if you want to be real sad someday and read a real great story about that thing that we just talked about, check that one out. Wow. Okay. I, I always ha- want to be real sad. So I, yeah. I highly recommend it, actually. It's one of my favorite little one-shots. Anyway. But uh, those, those are the more standard types of things. I mean, you you can think up things like this yourself, right? You know, what, what's a way we could modify a, a pet or organism to have some kind of control function augmented uh, by technology. But I think one of the interesting things is that in the examples we look today, it's more the pig lung model. It's coming from the other direction, not right. modifying a whole organism with a little bit of technology, but using an organ from an animal or, uh, or, you know, just some kind of biological material that in- is incorporated into a machine or a robot. And so there are lots of cases where we've studied biomimetics, which is, you know, designing machines and robots to mimic the behaviors of living organisms and tissues. But in a lot of these cases, it's probably worth asking now, hey, if we want a robot that can do the same thing as a squid tentacle, is there a reason we shouldn't just use a squid tentacle? I'm I'm sure that if squids could talk, they would have something to say about that. Well, true. Imagine you could grow one in vitro. Okay. Well, okay. we'll skip that part. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you, you can could, right you, now. You could, you could grow a squid tentacle in vitro without yeah. having to have any harm come to an actual squid. Sure. Uh, while you're okay. eating your calamari yeah. for Although lunch squids, and you're like, squids are jerks. So I'm I mean, saving them fine. so much suffering. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound so callous there. No, I'm just having a shellfish issue. Oh, right. Oh. Uh, so, oh, are squids on the list? No, okay. they're not. Okay. I can have calamari. In many cases, this is going to be impractical, right? Like maybe you can't actually control the, the biological tentacle with precision or maybe it tends to rot or decompose in the environment that you would want to use it. Right. But in some cases, the real tissue or organ might do just as well as the synthetic copycat which would save us a lot of R&D, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes me think of remember the um the snake-like robot that could swim through a pool and climb trees and stuff. This was from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds delightful. It was like the segmented robot this. and it, yeah, it, it biomimetic. It was, you know, mimicking the movements of a snake in order to uh propel itself through both water and over land uh and up trees as it turns out. And you would imagine that yeah, that's that's probably pretty tricky, a tough engineering challenge. If we reached a point where we were able to either take an existing snake or grow a, a snake, essentially a snake sans, neuro, uh, sans snake brain in the lab and replace that with like a technological version of whatever it is we need in a control system, that kind of thing. Uh, that might end up being much easier. And depending upon what you were planning on putting that snake robot to use, you know, however you're planning on using it, it may end up being more practical in that in that uh, respect. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work that has to go into making that actually happen. Like you were saying, with the idea of the precision, making sure that you can get all those movements just right. Uh, as we mentioned before on this show, when it comes to living organisms, they have had the benefit of millions and millions of years of research and development to get to right. where they are today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we a little have, bit of a head start. Yeah, we've been working on a much smaller time scale. <laughs> not even a blip in the grand scheme of things. So it's it's not like – I don't wish to say like, oh, yeah, if we just did it this way, it would make way more sense because it, it it is in itself a monumental task. It just mm-hmm. may be that in certain cases – it ends up making more sense to go down that road than trying to replicate the movement of a particular organism through purely mechanical means. Yeah, and so here's just one example that comes to my mind. Uh, Animal organs often can do the same job a machine can do but with a lot greater energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is a great one. Like uh, uh, it's a very sci-fi concept, but just stick with me for a second here. Imagine we're going to create some neurally inspired computing robots, robots that have some brain power. Okay. uh, And they've got a neural network kind of logic. Right. Why not use real neurons to do the computation? Animal nervous systems are known to be much more energy efficient relative to their computing capability than electronic processors are. So if you're trying to create a robot that's maybe both small and smart, it would make a lot of sense to try and see if you could use uh, organic nervous system neural material rather than processors, you know, uh, Silicon chips. Yeah. So the big challenge there is creating the interface right. that allows for the technological commands to be converted into organic commands right? Uh, or organic requests in the case of something like you wanted to do some sort of machine learning mm-hmm. type of situation. Well, where, th- this is a very sci-fi kind of thing. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're not close we're to being able doing, right. to do anything like this right. today. But it is, it is an interesting concept. I like the idea, uh, especially, you know, if you're able to grow 
neurons in the lab. Oh, Again, right, right. Uh, not not pull it out of an animal. Right. Yeah, I get real yourself. squiffy, squeaky about that sort of stuff. I don't. I just, I'm so. I like animals. <laughs> Like I like them, I like them as they are. <laughs> I like but, them with mustard. Uh, depending on the animal, that is true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. Uh, but I like the idea of leveraging that incredibly efficient, powerful unit that collectively can create a really uh, uh, robust network, as opposed to trying to replicate it through technology, which. Requires not just more energy, but a lot more space too. We've gotten really good at miniaturization, but nowhere near on the level of like how densely packed our brains are with mm-hmm. neurons. So it is an interesting idea. I, I don't know if we'll ever get there. I mean, it'll, it really will depend on which branch of research ends up being the most economically feasible, at least in the short run, right? Like if you say, well, we could pour more money into research on the the true neural network side of things where we're actually using neurons, uh, but we're so far away from that. We think we're so many decades away from that being a, a, a viable discipline. Whereas while this other approach clearly is less uh, energy efficient in the in the end result, we're closer to being able to do that it may very well be that the other method is one we never explore. It's just a branch where we, we identify it, but realize like, oh, it just, it's not practical for us to go down that road. I mean, someone will. Like a mad scientist version of Robert Frost. Take the road less traveled. And that'll make all the difference. All right, so that wraps up this discussion. Fun fact, you know that's one of the most misinterpreted poems in English? As a as a, a fellow liberal arts major, yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, you should look it up. Look it up, people out yeah. there. Read about it sometime. Yeah. This right. is kind of funny. It's, it's, it's misused in inspirational speeches all the time. Yeah. It's actually kind of a depressing poem. Yeah. Most of Robert... Frost's poems are kind of depressing poems. Yeah, I, they're pretty I love, dark. Yeah, I mean they're 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 beautiful. Yeah, and 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 they're so simple sounding. But yeah, but most of them aren't like pleasant. But if you want a pleasant experience, get an Emily Dickinson poem and read it to the tune of Gilligan's Island because <laughs> it works. Also, Yellow Rose of Texas, they both work. Um, at any rate, I'll, I with that little bit of knowledge and trust me, it works. Go and try it. I'm going to sign off here. I'm so horrified. If you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking or you have some questions or comments, send them our way. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can always drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. At Twitter, we're fwthinking. You can search FW Thinking in Facebook's little search engine. We'll pop right up. You can leave us a message there. I'm seriously never going to be able to unthink this. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.